Most of us are familiar with the saying, human beings look on the outward parts, but God looks on the heart. We know that Samuel the prophet told Saul the king that God was looking for a man after his own heart. So obviously, God looks on who we are and he cares about who we are on the inside that no one else can see. The question for our lives for eternity is this, do I have a heart that pleases God? Our scripture today is from 1 Samuel chapter 16, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. It's the story, the events that bring us up to the anointing of David, basically as a boy, as a young man, as king over Israel. It's going to be a long time before he becomes king, but this is the setting, this is the beginning. And the part that we want to remember is, is that God has said to Saul, God is looking for a man after his own heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to, to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are, anoint, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Jesse's firstborn, Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, the secondborn, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. 
But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Then it almost sounds funny what Samuel asked. Do you have any more sons? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So Samuel went on his way to Ramah. Now, afterwards, after I tell you this little story, you may say, Waylon, you got too much time on your hands, and you need to sleep better at night. But a couple of weeks ago, I'm kind of up in the middle of the night, and for whatever reason, I have no idea what the reason was, I started thinking about the little Vespa motor scooter I used to have. And I was thinking about it. It was a, a well-built little scooter. Everything worked fine. It had, a, it had a handbrake, and no, I never went over the front of it. And it had a hand clutch and gear shift. And that was the one weak thing in the whole scooter. And it drove my dad mad mad whichever way you want to come up with it, at trying to fix that thing because it was a cable and you had to start it over here on the handle and you had to get it in place and then you had to make it turn to go down the shaft over the, the, the front wheel of the motor scooter and then it had to come under the motor scooter but it wasn't just there, it was in something where you couldn't see it. So you were always trying to get that thing to work. And my dad and I, it was, it was just, it was just hard to do. And about five times over that couple of years I drove that, we had to replace that cable. So here I am in the middle of the night two weeks ago, and it occurs to me the trick that we needed to use to get it into place. And so I do this 50 years too late. I had, a, I had a paper route with that motor scooter. It was an afternoon paper. And I was the first person to ever deliver the paper. So I had to go house to house and be a salesman and ask somebody, do you want to take the paper? And all of my relatives, of course, took the paper. So I was taking the motor scooter all over the place. It was an afternoon paper. Sometimes I would have to deliver the paper after dark because of football or some other kind of sports practice. And I learned all kinds of things. I learned how hard it is to make a profit 
when you're buying the paper and you don't sell as many as you thought you were going to sell. I learned that if I missed through the paper and it went on top of the house, which I did a couple of times, I lost money. And I learned the very painful lesson that some people just won't pay you what they owe you. There was one man in town, I never go to Brantley now without going out of town and going down a sharp hill. It's about 30 feet or 40 feet straight, almost straight down. Kind of terrifying on a bicycle to go down that hill. And I never go by there without looking to the right where there is now an empty lot, but there used to be a house of the man who never did pay me the money he owed me. I would go to him at the end of the week. I'm ready to collect. Well, I don't have the money now. We weren't talking about much. But I'll pay you next week. And so the second week I went back. And same thing in the third week and the fourth week. And all the time I'm delivering the paper. Uh, I could be a little dense. But he was an adult. I was a kid. He told me he was going to pay me. And I assumed that he was. After about a month of losing money, I decided not to deliver the paper. And by that time, I'm telling my dad about it. And here's what my dad said. I know you want to believe him. And I know you are trying to be obedient and kind. He said, but I've known this man all of my life and you might as well move on because he's not going to pay you. So a little lesson learned. And I'm thinking about this in regard to David and to Samuel because Samuel had it in his mind how everything was going to take place. And he was obedient to God. He went to Bethlehem. He went to the household of Jesse. He said to Jesse, we're going to have a, a sacrifice and a feast. And I want you to come and I want you to bring your sons. And Samuel had it in his mind how it was going to work. He was going to anoint the firstborn. Because we know that the preponderance of leaders come from firstborn children. And the firstborn was brought before Samuel. And Samuel just knew this is the one. We don't know what he looked like. Samuel tells us that he was, that he was tall, that he was good looking. You and I probably see somebody who is 6'2", and we see broad shoulders, and we see youth and power and strength. And Samuel had all those things in his mind. This has to be the one. But God taught him and you and me a powerful lesson, an unbelievable lesson, a lesson that we need to remember almost every day of our lives. People 
look on the outward appearance and we make judgments, we make decisions, we look at folks and we size them up based on something that we see outwardly. But people look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. The word heart in Hebrew is one of those words that is used repeatedly. Over and over again, we read it. Sometimes it refers to the mind. Because after all, we know a verse as a man thinks in his heart, that's who he is. And sometimes it describes the will. And I always have to use a gesture when I use this. It describes that determination that we have, that decision-making that we make. This is the way. I will walk in it. That's on my heart to do this, and I'm going to carry it out. And sometimes it describes the emotions. And the Bible talks about the emotions that are in the abdomen or in the chest. You, you've no doubt gone through hard things in life, and you felt it deep within you, and sometimes the heart describes that. But the way the heart is often described and is found in this passage of Scripture simply describes the entirety of who you are. People look on the heart. People look on the outward appearance, but not the Lord. The Lord looks on who we are on the inside. And my question for myself, and I hope you will make the question for yourself, is do I have a heart that pleases God? And what does that heart look like? We saw it with Saul the king negatively last week. Today I want to show, it, show you David and Samuel in a positive manner that describes what it means to have a heart that pleases God. And by the way, we're going to see at the end of the sermon that a heart that pleases God is also a heart that pleases us that a heart that pleases God is also a, a heart that brings blessing and encouragement and strength to us. And in a sense, there is nothing in life that we want more than encouragement and hope and strength and help and comfort and peace and love and all of those things comes from knowing God and having a heart for God. Do I have a heart that pleases God. The heart that pleases God is a heart that listens to the voice of God. Through the years, I've taken this passage in Scripture and almost thought that Samuel was wrong and disobedient by looking to Eliab, to Abinadab, to Shammah. We don't know the other four sons of Jesse's name. But I've often thought that Samuel made a mistake. No, Samuel was just being Samuel. Samuel was just being a human being. 
Samuel was just being like you and me. He was just going on what he knew and what he had. But the great thing that Samuel did was he listened to God. Samuel didn't determine, I know what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. Samuel listened to God. A heart that pleases God is a heart that listens. It's a heart that lets God speak. It's a heart that lets God show us the way. Now, in the Old Testament, there were a number of ways that God spoke to his people. He spoke through prophets, and Samuel is called a prophet, by the way. He spoke through Samuel. He spoke sometimes through priests. He spoke through Moses and Joshua. He spoke through the law. He spoke through messengers and angels. In Leviticus, the Urim and the Thummim are given. We don't know exactly what they were. We know that they fit into the, to the breastplate and to the ephod, the covering that a priest wore, and that if they wanted to have an answer that was either yes or no, they would use the Urim and the Thummim. Some people think they were two rocks that were covered, colored different colors on each side. And if two of them came up one color, the answer was yes. And two came up the other color, the answer was no. You could almost see that here in Samuel because he had each of the sons come before him. It would have been easy to cast the lots before the one and each one it came up no, except for the fact, and I think that's completely possible, and I think there are other times when it is very clear that Urim and Thummim was used to know the plan of God and the will of God, but I don't think so here. Because we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we know that Samuel has heard the voice of God and that God has spoken to him. We know that he was serving Eli the priest as a young boy, and the Lord called his name three times. And Samuel got up thinking it was Eli, Eli every time. Finally, Eli said, go, lie down again. And if he calls you, it's the Lord speaking. And say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And so we know that Samuel spoke the word of the Lord, and he heard the word of the Lord, and that he was willing to listen to the word of the Lord. Let me tell you two things that you have that Samuel didn't have. Samuel didn't even have the entirety of the Old Testament, and he certainly didn't have the entirety of Scripture. At best, all he had was the five books of the law. At best, probably, he didn't even have all of those. So he didn't have Scripture, and he didn't have the Holy Spirit. How is God going to speak to you? He's going to speak to you through his word. And you're going to learn the voice of God through his word. 
Not a literal voice, probably, but you're going to learn that God has spoken through his word and, and that this book is filled with his instructions, that these are all the things that matter to God, the positive things that we're to do and all of the things that we're to shun in our lives. A heart for God means that we listen to his voice, that we obey his words because he speaks and he guides and he leads us. A heart that pleases God is a heart that places God above everything else. And that's what Samuel did, and that's what David did. He placed God above everything else. He, he, made, he put God where God belongs on the throne of the universe, on the throne of our lives, on the throne of our hearts, that everything, that we give everything to God, that we put him first. Now, I want to say that it is hard in our day to listen to God because the voices are so many. And there's so much competition. And there's so much cancel culture. And there's so much anger and wrath about the things of God. And, and when it seems that everybody is going in a different direction, it seems to us that maybe we ought to go in the same direction. But that's not what Samuel did. Samuel had to deal with the difficulties and the circumstances of life. And he had to listen to God when there were competing voices, when the king was opposed to him, when the people were opposed to him. And you and I live in that world. That's where we live. You go to school. And you find a lot of dissenting voices. And you go to work, and you find a lot of angry voices. And you read social media, and you think that surely everybody thinks in opposition to the things of God and the ways of God. But a heart that pleases God puts God above all of those things. That's why it's trust. That's why it's commitment. And I know that that's not easy. And we all know that that's not easy. Because we've all had those competing voices and we've all had those words that said that, that there is no God and there is no creation and there is no, no, no person of Jesus and there is no voice that comes from God. But the heart that pleases God puts God above all else. Heart that pleases God lets God use us in spite of the circumstances. Think about Samuel. 
man, he's got everything in the world to think about. He's made Saul mad. He's told Saul that you will no longer be king. God is looking for a man after his own heart. And from that point on, Saul, Saul has nothing to do with Samuel. And he leaves him away and he looks for every opportunity, no doubt, to kill him. So when God says, I want you to go to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, what's the first thing that Samuel says? What am I going to do about Saul? If I go to Bethlehem, which is his home area, he's going to kill me. So God gives him what to do. Here's what you're to do. Go to Bethlehem, as I've told you to do. Take a heifer with you. This will be your sacrifice. You'll make a sacrifice and there will be a feast. And you will invite the townspeople. And you will invite Jesse and his sons. And there will be the feast. And I'm going to show you who to anoint. Now, wouldn't it have been easy for God to say to Samuel, Samuel, you're going to anoint David. Don't worry about it. You're going to feel that you ought to, you ought to anoint the firstborn, but you're going to anoint the lastborn. You're not going to anoint the one who looks like a king. You're going to anoint the one that looks like a kid. You're going to, you're going to do it, but I'm going to tell you how to do it. But God doesn't tell him that. God tells him two times, you are going to anoint the one I indicate. And what does that mean? It means that God gave Samuel the opportunity to listen. The opportunity to depend on God. The opportunity to trust God. Sometimes you and I look at all of these hard things in life and, God, why have you put this before me? Maybe we ought to reframe that. Maybe we ought to think of it in this way. God has given me the opportunity to trust him. God has given me the opportunity to depend on him. God has given me the opportunity to say, speak, Lord, your servant hears gives us the opportunity to pray and ask God to show us what he wants us to do. A heart that pleases God lets God use us in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the opposition, where we put him truly first and we let him be in charge of our lives. I love the the, the, the little quote that's on your sermon sheet from Eugene Bullard, I have no idea who Eugene Bullard is, but I love these words. You are not too young. You are not too old. You are not too damaged. And you are not too late to serve God. Almost always, we're looking to be too young or too old or too damaged or too late. But that doesn't happen with God. It happens in the world, but it doesn't happen with God. And God uses us in spite of the circumstances. What is a heart that pleases God? It's a heart 
that does God's will in God's way. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, it will become very clear to you that God wants you to do his will, but he wants you to do it in his way. And, in, in, and certainly what he means by that is total obedience to God. What God wants you to do and how God wants you to do it. And that's what Samuel did. That's how Samuel followed. He did God's will in God's way. And he anointed a king that no one else would have anointed, that no one else would have thought about. But he was obeying God. And he did it in the way that God wanted him to do. And David, though a young man, and not knowing much of anything, was a man after God's heart, following God's will and doing so in God's way. And I love these last words of verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And listen to these words. And from that day on, from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Something we need to remember here. The Holy Spirit has always been, there's always been Father, Son, and Spirit. There's always been the Godhead, but the Spirit is not, is not revealed in His fullness, is not bestowed upon the church, is not gifted to the church until the, the resurrection and the crucifixion and the ascension of Jesus and the gift to the church on the day of Pentecost. But the Spirit of God has always been, and the Spirit of God is with us in the church and in our lives. But it, before that revelation, the Spirit was at work giving strength and power and blessing. And verse 13 says that from that point on, the Spirit of the Lord came on David mightily. If you have your Bible open, you'd look at verse 14, the very next verse, and that same spirit of power and blessing was removed from Saul because of his disobedience. So which one of those do you want? And what do you want to receive in life? Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to, do you want to put yourself first? Or do you want to put God first? You ever think about that? What do I want to do? Three times in the Bible, one time in the Old Testament, quoted twice in the New Testament, the Bible says God opposes the proud. What are the proud? The proud are those who put self above God. I'm the most important. Everything revolves around me. It's all about me. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
read a couple of weeks ago about the consumer. Uh, never can remember the name, the CES. And what it means is the new technology. It's held every year in Las Vegas. And many of the things that we use today were revealed five or eight or ten years ago in Las Vegas. And so they're revealing all kinds of things two weeks ago. In conjunction of that, I saw a synopsis of a of a man who wrote a bestseller. And here's what he said. For the last 500 years, the Industrial Revolution and technology has given us a wealth in the world that would only be a fairy tale to people who live 500 years ago. And what he said is, we have everything. We do. We have everything. And then he asked the question, but does that make us happy? And he gave a one-word answer. No. And then he goes into a philosophy of what makes people happy. And here's what he said. It's having a meaning and a purpose in life. He, he said it this way. He, if you have meaning and purpose in life, you can be happy in spite of the circumstances. But if you don't have meaning and purpose in life, it doesn't matter what you have. You're not going to be happy. So think about the people around us today, the people who live all around us, who have all kinds of things that people a hundred years ago couldn't imagine or think about, or 50 years ago couldn't imagine or think about. And yet, we are more miserable in America than we've ever been. Suicide and overdoses. What's the push for marijuana? It's the push that the only way I can feel any relief and any satisfaction is to be under the influence. So no, it doesn't make us happy. And then this is the conclusion of the book. The man is an atheist. You thought he was a Christian because it sounds like he's talking about Christian principles. But he said, the point is, not his words, my words, the world was created by dumb luck. Human beings were created by dumb luck. Everything that we have in the world is the result of dumb luck. And there's no way to be happy. But the teaching of Holy Scripture is that you are the express creation of a holy God who from the beginning of time has had a meaning and a purpose 
for your life and who gave His Son, the Lord Jesus, for you. God wants to know you and He wants you to know Him and He wants you to live for Him and He wants you to have a heart that is filled with Him and that pleases Him. If you were like I was and came to know Christ as a child, I was nine years old. Here's the way I described it. I have invited Christ into my heart. For a long time, I thought, well, that sounds kind of like a, kind of like a childish way to put it. And then I realized, no, that's exactly what I did. And that's exactly what God did for me. That's what I want to ask you to let him do for you. And then I want to ask you to walk to the front and talk with a pastor. A warm-hearted invitation on our part to help you with this important decision to let God have your heart and your life and dwell within you and to lead you through life. And I want to ask you to look as a believer in your heart. Do, am I giving my heart to God? Do I have a heart that pleases God? Do I put Him first? Do I let Him be in control? Do I look for Him in life? I want to ask you to say to God, God, I want to, I want to be everything you want. I don't want to do anything you don't want. And I give myself unto you. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to pray in the conclusion of my prayer. I'm going to ask you to come and make your decision for God. God, we thank you for loving us, for caring for us, for creating us, for not leaving us alone, for giving us meaning and purpose and hope. God, I want to pray now for those who don't yet know you, have not come to that definite point in their life in which they open their heart to you. I pray for those people today. I pray for those who need to get closer to you and to give themselves fully and completely. God, would you draw people to yourself? Would you lead them? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come now as we sing.